This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Susan Meachin? First, I'll look at the background of this case, move to the timeline of the incident, then offer my analysis. Susan Meachin was a romance author who lived in Benton, Tennessee. She dropped out of high school in the ninth grade to get married. Her husband was an over-the-road truck driver named Troy. Susan was first introduced to writing when she was alone for long periods of time due to Troy's job, like he would be on the road and she wouldn't have much to do. She read a large number of romance novels, sometimes more than one in a day. It was a break from reality, an escape. Susan decided that she could write her own romance novels. Over the course of three years, Susan self-published 14 books. In addition, she was a very active member of the romance writing community on social media, which she referred to as the book world. Some people refer to this community as Romance Landia. This is a vibrant and volatile community that involves a lot of drama, which I guess isn't surprising considering it is about writing romance novels. Susan believed that the hostile nature of the community aggravated her existing mental health symptoms. She had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. With Susan's permission, a mental health professional who treated Susan communicated with the media and confirmed that she did have bipolar disorder and was being treated for psychosis. Susan indicated that she struggled to differentiate the real world from the world of fiction writing. She thought that her interactions in the world of romance writing were leading to manic episodes. Susan believed that the romance writing community was a vicious dog-eat-dog world, which was not really earning anyone a lot of money. It didn't make a lot of sense to be involved in it. Susan's husband, Troy, also found the book world to be problematic for his wife, he thought it was unhealthy for her to remain connected to it. For example, Susan would receive a lot of negative feedback from other authors. It was described as really brutal. Occasionally, Susan would talk like a character from a book. During an incident in September of 2020, when Troy was driving a truck, Susan's 22-year-old daughter found her semi-conscious. Troy told his daughter to announce Susan's death online. 
Susan's daughter posted a message on Susan's Facebook page, which read, quote, Author Susan Meachin left this world behind Tuesday night for bigger and better things. The message also made a reference to the messed up industry of romance writing and asked for people to leave them alone. In October, Susan's daughter posted a follow-up message, which clarified that her mother was dead. She said, quote, dead people don't post on social media, unquote. People in the community reacted strongly to the news of Susan's demise. They posted messages suggesting that Susan had been kind to them. They wish they would have known what she was going through. One person promised to do everything to make a difference so Susan's death would not be in vain. Another offered to edit her final book for free. Many people left the romance writing community, believing that its cruelty and pettiness had caused Susan's death. People who were upset about Susan's untimely exit from this world would receive good news on January 2, 2023, when another post appeared on Susan's Facebook page indicating that Susan was now alive. Susan wrote that she had debated on how to do this a million times and was still not sure if it's right or not. Her family did what they thought was best for her, and she can't fault them for it. She was in a good place and ready to resume writing. At the end of the post, Susan wrote, Let the fun begin. Susan's resurrection from the dead was not met with a joyful response. Members of the romance writing community were angry and felt betrayed. Some of the members notified the authorities, asking that Susan be prosecuted for fraud. They said that she may have faked her own death in order to sell more books. No charges were ever filed against Susan. At the time making this video, her writing career is not going too well as many people in the romance writing community refuse to buy her work. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh -huh. You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Mm. Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. Now moving to my analysis. 
Here are my thoughts on a few areas that stood out to me in this case. Item number one, this story is framed with Susan as a romance writer, but I think that term may be a little generous. Her books were self-published and suffered from a number of problems. A lot of people can technically write what they would call a book, but that doesn't mean they have the skill expected of an author. I looked at two of her books. One was titled Stolen Moments and the other Close Encounters. I read as much as I could tolerate, which was not a lot. It became clear fairly quickly why Susan struggled to make any money. There's really no nice way to describe the writing quality in her books. It was more like a collection of words. Many, many words. It felt like a never-ending supply of words. These words were divided into paragraphs, but there wasn't much rhyme or reason to the construction of the paragraphs. They were more decorative than anything else. The books attempted to tell stories about characters, but there really wasn't any character development, and the stories were not compelling. The books left me wondering if there were hidden messages in the titles. For example, stolen moments may refer to the experience of the readers, like reading the book was stealing moments of their lives. Close Encounters could have referred to how being abducted by aliens would have been more pleasant than reading the book. And Susan had another book titled Losing Hope, which could refer to the reader losing hope that the book would ever end. Item number two, sometimes when an author has lack of skill, they recognize the deficit, but other times they don't. In the instances where there is no recognition, there may be a temptation to stage some type of incident to attract attention to the writing. Perhaps that is what happened in this case. Maybe Susan was hoping that after her death, her book sales would skyrocket. Some people in the romance writing community said that Susan was online posing as another user during her time in the afterlife. This user asked people in the community to buy books in memory of Susan and support Susan's family financially. So here we see that Susan may have been spying on people who were grieving over her journey to the next life. Ultimately, Susan's book sales did not skyrocket after her fake death. I think that the phenomenon of a writer's books becoming popular after their death is predicated on the writer having talent in the first place. Susan may have believed that dying would increase book sales, but readers were thinking that they wouldn't be caught dead with one of her books in their hands. Item number three, Susan never really accepted responsibility for her behavior or appeared to understand why her actions were offensive despite being caught dead to rights. When referring to her detractors, she said, quote, I'm sorry for their mourning, but from a legal standpoint, I did nothing wrong. Morally, I might have done something wrong, but legally, there's nothing wrong, unquote. I find it interesting that she believes that she might have done something wrong. Susan appears to place the blame for her troubles with the writing community, noting that it was not good for her. She said, quote, I wish I had never met the book industry whatsoever, unquote. I imagine that particular sentiment was reciprocated. Item number four, the content of Susan's books is considered racy, even by the standards of romance novels. She was worried that all the publicity she received due to her fabricated death would mean that her neighbors would read her books, like they would hear about the scandal, go out and buy her novels, and then think less of her after reading the content. This is probably the only time that Susan had to worry about people actually reading her novels. The good news for Susan is that any fear predicated on people buying her books 
is unfounded, the quality of her work ensures that she is protected from that occurrence. Item number five, the reaction of the romance writing community offers insight into the nature of how people react to attention-seeking behavior. Members of the community were somewhat understanding that Susan had a mental illness, but not willing to forgive her. They actually appeared to be extremely judgmental, like they wanted to throw the book at her. Some even left bad reviews on Susan's novels. Perhaps a better way to phrase that would be even worse reviews than usual. But either way, it's clear they wanted revenge. I find it curious that a community which glorifies unrealistic, traumatic scenarios would judge somebody so harshly for creating drama. Maybe Susan really did feel as though the community was toxic and faking her death was the only way to escape. Or maybe she did it because she was desperate to have people say something positive about her and she knew the only way that would happen is if she pretended to be dead. An exploration of what led to her poor decision is something that's never going to happen in the community at this point because they're so angry and vengeful. Attention-seeking behavior is one of the most offensive personality characteristics, especially when it elicits feelings of grief. When people are compelled to mourn the loss of somebody and then later find out that they're not actually dead, forgiveness does not rank high in their list of priorities. Now moving on to my final item, number six. What could have motivated Susan's behavior? Does bipolar disorder explain why somebody would fake their own death? I think that bipolar disorder could explain a desire to escape a toxic online community. Like a person with this disorder could become frustrated and just want to disconnect from those who are critical of them. I do not think that the disorder explains going back online and posing as another user, if that is something Susan actually did. It also doesn't explain the length of time involved. Susan pretended to be dead for over two years. Susan's behavior is a bit of a mystery. It's hard to know what the truth is. The behavior could be explained in a variety of ways. Perhaps it was motivated by a desire to escape, which is ironic considering that Susan was initially attracted to romance novels in order to escape. The motive could have been attention-seeking, selling more books, or making people feel badly for criticizing her. Perhaps, in this case, Susan was so connected to the idea that dramatic situations were valuable that she created one in order to solve a perceived problem, like she ripped a page out of the romance writer's playbook. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, 
and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.